Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Maximize Your Influence. This is Kurt Mortensen. This is episode 209. Glad to have you back. Glad for your feedback. Been in Boston and Dallas this week, having a lot of fun doing some incredible trainings on the world of influence and persuasion. Of course, influencing without authority. But let's step back here. We got a great guest today named Ben Voyer. And just let me tell you a little bit about him, and we're going to get deep into the world of persuasion, influence, marketing, give you a few tidbits and tools to help you understand how to become better at influence. Professor Voyer is a L'Oreal Professor of Creative Marketing at ESCP Europe and a visiting fellow at the London School of Economics. Professor Voyer is a behavioral scientist to investigate how self-perception and interpersonal relationships affect cognition. He's authored and co-authored over 150 scientific contributions to the field of applied psychology, He's been seen on CNBC, CNN, The Washington Post, The Economist, BBC, Financial Times, Business Week. Great places to be. And I also teach some interesting courses on marketing management and marketing and communications. And the big concept here we really understand is how do we understand each other? How do we influence and how do we understand the marketplace? So, Ben, with that great introduction, welcome. Thank you very much. Really excited to be here, Court. Good. So you're on the other side of the world. Where exactly are you located? I'm based in London, but I travel around the world uh, to give talks and, uh, and also teaching and lecturing. Of course, we got to kick off the show with the question that we always start off with. Ben, what is the worst vegetable on the planet and why? Ah, that's a, that's a great one. Uh, I would say parsnip. Uh, and I would say parsnip because, you know, it tastes a bit like carrot, but it doesn't have any of the fame of the carrots. And so I feel a bit <laughs> sad for the, uh, for the parsnip. It's the fake carrot, and it's white, and it's like, okay, if I'm going to choose, we're going with the carrot, so I'll agree with that one. <laughs> Good stuff. So another question we always like to ask, too, you're deep into human nature, behavioral science, why we do what we do. That's what we talk a lot about on the show, of course. But what do you see right now? What is the biggest blunder when people try to market or influence with not understanding human nature? What do you see as the biggest blunder or mistake out there? I think, you know, we live in a world where consumers are widely aware some people out there are trying to influence them and the codes are changing the way you persuade people are changing the way you can influence people everything is starting to change and there's a resistance to kind of traditional marketing and i think not realizing that since social media have kind of taken by storm the way we communicate we need to completely change the way we do things and i think you know using what are called 20th century marketing techniques and persuasion techniques in the day and age of social media is the biggest blunder for me at the moment. Yeah, all those old school techniques, all those closing skills, the different things that just create resistance. And we're big believers that persuading under the radar help people persuade themselves. But what do you see as the biggest way to persuade people under the radar and just really help them persuade themselves instead of using those old style, old school techniques that just don't really work anymore? Yeah, I think the, the most important is being able to create a relationship with the people you're trying to relate to and trying to persuade. These days with social media, we see that people are more influenced by friends that have seen and tried a product 
rather than, you know, seeing a big celebrity that endorses the product. I'm not saying a big celebrity endorsement never works, but I think, you know, these days it's more about soft persuasion than the kind of hard persuasion we used to go to uh, at the time uh, of, of only mass media. Uh, so I think it's always about creating rela um, relatability. The other thing that I think is important is storytelling and narrative. In other words, you need to embark people on a journey, the journey of the consumer, the product, and what amazing things they can accomplish together. And if you manage to get your stories right, you're going to convey a great feeling that everything is possible with your product, and that's kind of what you want to do. And so if you combine the trend in storytelling with the trend in um, soft persuasion, in, in you know, having peers endorsing products rather than big brands and, com and companies, you've got the winning formula uh, to achieve success. Yeah, we really believe in storytelling on the show. We've talked about that. We've interviewed a few people that that seems to be key, getting them, like you mentioned, on that journey. What is the key to storytelling, or can you use it in the wrong way, or is there a percentage of stories you should use in a traditional presentation? What are your thoughts on that? There's a few important things. It's, first of all, you need to kind of script things out. You need to make sure that you've got a story that stands, a story that is something that is relatable. One of the mistakes that some of the people that use storytelling do is that they create a story that is either unbelievable or that features people that are in a way superhero and that creates a distance with the consumer. So you need to find the right balance so that you've got something that is entertaining, something that captures the attention, but also something that allows people to kind of project and say, I could be uh, one of these. In some classic research in psychology, people have shown that if you can't relate to other people or if someone looks too perfect, then you're less likely to be able to want to actually look like them and engage in uh, what they do. So it's really important to get that right, the script, then have a story that is something that you can relate to, and then find the right balance to put your products, your ideas, your services into that story. And the last thing that works as well is to try to engage people into a longer term story. So try to break down your story in terms of episodes, you know, kick in with something very engaging and leave people at at the end of your short episode, short story, wanting to know more, to know more, and then they'll come back for more, and so on and so forth. Like what you said about the episodes or dividing the stories. Do you mean like within a presentation, you start the story, then you teach, and you continue the story? Is it like different meetings with them that you're continuing the story? What do you, is with all the above? Yeah, absolutely. You, you can really play around. I mean, you know, if you're promoting your services or if you're from promoting a product, you can design like short videos that can be communicated and that can come back on, on stories that were done previously. If it's as part of uh, more of a training, you know, you can start a story to engage people, then go into more taught content and then come back to that story. I mean, stories really have that power to captivate us. And so if you use them right, and especially if you create a narrative that comes back regularly, and it catches people's attention, then you really have something that hooks them on and that uh, means that they want to know more. And that's something we get, you know, we love story from when we're kids and as adults, we're not much different. If you've got a good story and a good storyline, you'll captivate your attention and then you can have some messages within that story that would be very powerful and consumers will be very receptive to this because they're in a beautiful package. Listeners, I hope you caught that. Just stories are very powerful. They actually persuade without detection. It's a great tool in your toolbox. So let's switch gears a little bit. I know you're excited about the current Nobel Prize. Tell us why you're excited, who won, and their background. Yeah, so um, just today was announced the uh, Nobel Prize you know, in economics. And um, 
great thing that uh, University of Chicago professor Taylor won the prize. So he became very famous for publishing a book called Nudge about 10 years ago, 2008 right now. And he is one of the pioneers of what we call behavioral economics. And behavioral economics is the science of understanding biases in decision makings and how we can use these biases in decision making to influence in a positive way behaviors. It's been widely used in many industries, not just in marketing, consumer psychology, but also in public services to get people to get more active and, and, and use gyms and so on, to get people to recycle. And it all falls down to some core psychological biases. For instance, loss aversion, knowing that you know we are actually always worried and we'll do whatever we can to avoid uh, losing. Also, um, things such as the present bias, that is, you know, we're geared towards short-term gains and we'd rather have more, rather have something certain now rather than have something that would be more in the future. So, so most people would go for $10 now rather than, you know, $15 in two or three weeks because $10 now is something that is certain uh, and that people are, are sure to have. So there's a wide range of biases that can be used to understand consumer decision making. Uh, and behavioral economics is really that kind of interplay between psychology and economic decision making. And that's taken by storm the world of marketing over the last, I would say, you know, 10 to 15 years. That's interesting because we've talked about on the show as far as a lot of persuasion involves that subconscious trigger, those feelings we have. The Book of Nudge talks about that, the loss of virgin, yep. that psychological reactance. Do you feel the same? I've seen a lot of studies, but up to 95% of influence involves a subconscious trigger, that feeling. Are you with that same number or you feel it's a little different? Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, you know, it's it's all about what we call the, um, the Kahneman kind of system one, system two. So the idea is that there is only so much conscious information processing that uh, our brain is capable of doing. And most of the decisions we make, most of the behaviors we engage into on a daily basis are automatic behaviors that are triggered by all of these shortcuts. Uh, and, you know, we refer to these as, with different names, you know, subconscious and so on. But at the end of the day, they're all about the same thing is that if we were to be fully aware and conscious of every single thing we do in our daily life from getting up going in the shower and, and everything we would not be able to function properly it would be way too tiring for our brain so understanding how these shortcuts are shaped created is what constitutes you know the kind of hard science behind behavioral economics and that's why it's so fascinating it is fascinating why we do what we do it seems like we've learned more probably in the last 10 years and the last 100 years combined on why we do what we do and and it's interesting, we talk about these automatic behaviors. Is there any current research that's exciting you, or especially research on when the brain gets overwhelmed or there's too much information or it's too confused that it shuts down that we should be aware of? Yeah, I think one of the things that is starting to strike the attention of uh, psychologists and marketers alike is what we call the tyranny of choice. It's this idea that when people are confronted with too many choices, it actually reduces their well-being and they're often making worse decisions. And I think it's something that is very important for anyone who's um, you know, working in, in marketing-related uh, activities around offering different choices, different options. This can be anything from different subscriptions or different versions of a product. And I think the important thing is to remember that if you have no choice, consumers will not be happy because they want to be able to have a choice between a few options. But we have, if you have too many choices, 
it's the same. Consumers will also not be happy. So there's an, kind of an optimal number of choices where people will actually be able to process the information, use this information to make an informed choice, and that will lead to an optimal decision, but also optimal satisfaction. And really bear in mind that consumers are not capable of processing an infinite amount of information about your product and services. So give them the right information and making choices for them, simplifying their choice is also something that can increase dramatically their satisfaction. Tell me if you agree or disagree with this when we talk about choices. I remember reading a study about jams and jellies at a supermarket and they had 16 and people were trying them out and their heads kind of just blew off versus for they had two or three choices they actually sold more. Is there a magical number? Is it two to three choices that seems to be the best? Or are studies confirming that? Or is there a different study we need to know about? Yeah, yeah, no, typically, I mean, you're looking at two or three options. I mean, we often talk about seven as a magical number, but in terms of choices, seven would already already be too much. You know, fewer than two options, and then, you know, you literally have no choice. Three to four is probably optimal. Five, if you really need to stretch it for some reasons, which, you know, which could be specific to the uh, nature of your, you know, of the product or services that uh, you're selling. But, you know, three to four is really the optimal in terms of choices. I know in the past you've talked about power, acquiring power. What is it about yep. power and influence? Or what is the best form of power that really increases credibility or trust? Are there different forms? Is it all forms of power? What are your thoughts? Yeah, so there are different forms of power. Typically, when psychologists look at power, they look at power and define it in, in, in two different ways. First of all, power is the control that you might have over resources. That's one of the first traditional definitions of power. Uh, the second definition of power um, comes in the form of the capacity to do influence or stay uninfluenced. Research suggests that one of the most effective way of using power to persuade is by using uh, what we call referent or uh, knowledge powers. That is, you know, you are a person that has a natural authority, not one that's been conferred to you by status or by position in a company. Power that you've derived from natural understanding and natural credibility in being a knowledgeable person on a certain topic. And that's really the kind of expert form of power that is often uh, and traditionally used in marketing. And the reason why it works is that people derive a form of credibility. This allows them not to make an effortful choice because they can trust someone that is an expert on a topic. And that's really the most useful form of power. Well said. Let me ask you this. Is there one thing we miss as we talk about influence and persuasion and getting into the mind of our consumer? What do we think we've missed? What's exciting to you right now? What do our listeners need to know? I think... One of the messages I'd like to put through is that when we when it comes to power and status, what's important to understand is that power and status actually are not just things that, you know, get conferred to us and, and that all the perceive that changes the perception others have of us. But power and status is something that also changes our own way of functioning. And so when people uh, get more status and more power, it's affects how they connect to others. It affects how they can empathize or not with others. And sadly, perhaps in a way, research suggests that when people get more power, they get a bit more disconnected from others. Something I've shown in my research on independent and interdependent self. And what I've shown is that the more status you give to someone, the more likely they are to report feeling uh, disconnected from others. But it's not all bad. There are also some interesting differences in terms of how power affects men and women differently. 
And typically, um, what are some of the things I find in my research is that when you give uh, power um, to women, it actually increases their sense of interdependence. Whereas when you give power to men, it uh, decreases their uh, sense of uh, interdependence. So power is a very complex concept that psychologists are starting to um, study and understand uh, much better. Uh, and the exciting things about the last few years is that now we're really trying to show and starting to show that it actually influences the very heart of who we are and how we connect to others. Interesting. Yeah, power can really help your in your ability to persuade and influence. And remember, listeners, power is neutral. It's neither good or bad. It's something that can really help you with influence. But you mentioned something that's really interesting about how power affects our ability to connect or emphasize. So if, if someone's the the vice president they're trying to connect with someone like three or four levels down any suggestions there on how to connect or emphasize since you naturally have that disconnect yeah i think it's about you know trying to find little elements that can help you to emphasize that connection so when you're trying to connect to people try to develop a sense of observation often what we find is that um, people that are in power um, lose the ability to kind of think broadly and and kind of like see a lot of different elements that's a good thing because they can focus on on very narrow topics and issues um, but if you really want to connect you're going to need to be um, able to observe little differences and little similarities and try to kind of you know bind around the similarities there's nothing like you know trying to identify something as we said before doing a bit of research before with the person you're trying to connect to and kind of you know sleeping you've read that that person is a runner and that's great because you're a runner too so always try to find similarities now finding similarities is a great way to connect with people no matter what their kind of status uh, in in an organization yeah the similarities the commonalities are always critical that seems to be the thing that sparks relationships and so that's something that can be very helpful when there's a connection and then we found through our research when people like you and trust you it's so much easier to persuade and influence and great thing to focus on this week Great information. We really appreciate it. But where can we, where can our listeners find out more? I would say that uh, there's there's a wealth of resources. I mean, you know, the most uh, interesting thing, especially this week, I'd, I'd really recommend people to the Nudge book by uh, Taylor, just because you know it's really something that is taken psychological research and and behavioral economics by storm and, and one of the founding books about this. And then if you're interested into uh, power, uh, there's quite a lot of read out there. What I probably could do is I could put quick reading list perhaps and, and send it to you and uh, and you can put it on the, on the blog. No, that would be great. We'll send it out there. We'll put it on the blog. That'll be found at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. And, of course, Ben can be found at BenVoyer.com. That's B-E-N-V-O-Y-E-R.com. We want more information about him and some great videos on there to help you out to understand this behavioral economics, the new world of persuasion and influence because there's increasing resistance the world of persuasion influence has changed. If you're using those old school tools, they're not going to work for you. Ben, awesome information. Really appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you for being Fantastic. here. And uh, we'd love to have you again. It was great information. But everyone, that's Maximize Your Influence today. Everyone go out and persuade with power.